Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language. With me, Ollie Richards. Hello. Bonjour. Hello. Hello. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. I hope you are well. I'm recording this intro on a glorious, sunny Devon morning here in the in the UK and um, of course the second I start to record this the the lawnmower starts running outside <laughs> cutting the cutting the grass here in the garden and of course you know when else would you choose to start the lawnmower as when Ollie decides to start recording a podcast I mean honestly <laughs> anyway um, I hope you've been enjoying some of the content that I've been making recently I was thinking that you know I've been making content about language learning for almost eight years now. In fact, it's probably about eight years to the to the week, frankly, uh, since I started my website, my little blog, IWillTeachYouALanguage.com, uh, back in uh, 2013 when I was living in Qatar. God, that seems like a, a million miles away right now. And it is, it's quite far away, but also very, very distant. But with, with, this, with this content creator, I mean, I've always, the thing I've always most enjoyed about this is about what I do with my work and the business that I've, I've grown is creating cool content about language learning. And I know that many of you who have followed me since the beginning, that's what you've also in, enjoyed. It's just you know, hearing different opinions and ideas about language learning, because that's the thing that we all have in in common. So recently I've been really going back to my roots and trying hard to create some, some really interesting content. Most of this is happening over on YouTube. Um, and then I'm kind of taking that content as much as I can and then making it available on the podcast as well. But if you are, if you do uh, you enjoy YouTube, you should definitely go and follow my channel there, um, which you can find just by searching for Ollie Richards, because me, I've got a fantastic team, very talented team of people who are helping me um, make some really great videos. And uh, so I'd, I'd, it would be great if you could follow along there so you can see what I'm, what I'm up to. But either way, I've been enjoying making content and being creative again after quite a long hiatus of being more kind of not not more focused on the business but particularly focused on the business and being and being kind of dragged in many different directions as we've been as the business has grown and we've been doing more things making new courses hiring new team members writing new books but content and creating content on language learning has always been the thing that I've most loved and um, so I'm very happy to be to be making this for you please uh, subscribe to the podcast or follow the podcast if you are on um, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you may be. Make sure you subscribe so you get uh, new content. Also, if you'd uh, like to support us, it would be really helpful if you could leave a review of the podcast. Uh, these podcasts have always been free. They will always be free. So uh, leaving a little rating and review is always the best way to help us. But now for today's show, and it'll be a first today because you're actually going to hear a different interviewer. Um, and you're going to be, uh, well, let me tell you what it's all about. I want you to imagine that you got a letter in the post announcing that you'll be put on a plane to Korea in just nine weeks. And when you get there in Korea, you're going to stand on a street corner and talk to strangers in Korean. Add to this the fact that you don't yet speak a single word in the language. Are you nervous yet? Well, this is precisely what today's guest, Derek Driggs, experienced when he trained to be a Mormon missionary at the Missionary Training Center in Utah before being sent to live in Korea for two years back in 2012. And this episode of the podcast is a interview with Derek, and it's absolutely fascinating. If you if you ever wondered what an intensive, immersive language learning experience is like, well, you're about to find out. Now, uh, the, the chap interviewing 
Derek is not me, as you'll quickly find out by his um, his American accent. Uh, it's my colleague John, who's on the team and helps me with um, what actually kind of runs the content creation process over on um, on our YouTube channel. Uh, you'll probably be hearing a lot more from from John, either directly or indirectly, over the the coming months. But the the interview you're going to hear here is a conversation between John and Derek, and. John is a fantastic interviewer, so I know you're really going to enjoy it. So without any further ado, let me stop talking and please enjoy this fantastic interview with Derek Driggs. So let's go back to the kind of the origin story, then the beginning. Did you get interested in languages first and then later applied that within the role as a missionary or is it the other way around? Or So no, so right. So I'm very interested in languages in general and I always have been. I'm actually doing my PhD in linguistics right now. Awesome. Um, because I just am really fascinated with the language learning process and sort of how that that goes. But I, um, as a uh, as a teenager, when I was getting ready to serve as a missionary, the language thing wasn't really a part of it because you just apply to be a missionary and then they send you anywhere. They could send you somewhere in your own country or in another country, somewhere where you have to learn a language, somewhere where you don't, and you don't have any say in that. So I I didn't really count on uh, having a language learning experience as a missionary, but it happened that way. So, so did they, they chose then, I believe Korea was where you went. Yes, so that was chosen yes. for you. And they're yes. like, surprise, so you're going to Korea. Yeah. So you get a letter in the mail and they tell you where you're going. And yeah, I, I got sent to Korea. So I was pretty uh, unsure of what to expect. Yeah. Tell me about the feelings you had or the the emotions you were feeling that when you got that letter and opened it up, what went through your head? Yeah, so I had taken Chinese classes in high school. I was I had had gotten pretty comfortable with Chinese, and so I had kind of wondered if they would send me somewhere where I could use Chinese. But Chinese doesn't really help with Korean at all, and so I was like, uh, "Okay, well, I guess I'll be starting from scratch." And I was pretty nervous. I, I think it hit me sort of in that moment that you don't just get sent somewhere and know the language already; like you actually have to learn it. So. I remember being pretty nervous. And then from getting that letter to getting off an airplane in Korea, what was the time frame? What happened in that period? You know, what was a day-to-day experience like for you? So it's a nine-week language training process. You get sent to the language, tra- the missionary training center in uh, Provo, Utah. And they have a program there that takes nine weeks for languages that are considered higher difficulty level. Um, so you have a lot of languages that require learning a script in the in the nine week program. So like Korean, Japanese, Chinese. Then you have Russian and uh, things like that. Thai as well as another nine week one. Um, and then other languages like Spanish, French, other Romance languages or Germanic languages are six week languages. So uh, I was in the ling- the missionary training center for nine weeks, and then I got put on a plane and sent to Korea with no further language instruction after that. Wow! So just three measly extra weeks for. All that extra yep. stuff you got to do. So I, I yep. learned Japanese and Chinese, so I, I have a oh, lot of empathy yeah, here. So you yeah, know so how it goes. I guess at least with Korea, the, the Hangul script, at least it's like a alphabet and not a... Yeah, you know. so the, the alphabet they did, I still remember that was, we went in day one and they just started speaking in Korean to us right away. There was no English at all. And I didn't even know how to say hello or nice to meet you or anything. So I was just so stressed out, I remember. And they taught us the alphabet the first day. So it, Korean is... That's really handy with Korean is the alphabet's pretty uh, easy to wrap your head around. So we did that in a day. And then from then on, we weren't allowed to use English letters anymore either in our studying. So 
it was pretty quick. So the instruction itself was all in Korean? Yeah, all in Korean, 100%. So they didn't do anything in English at all. I mean, even when, you know, the missionary training center has two purposes. One is the language learning aspect and the other is learning how to be a missionary and how you share about the scriptures and about Jesus with people. And all of that was in Korean as well. So everything from day one was in Korean. And in my mind at the time, I thought, you know, they're just full on speaking Korean to us without even giving us any kind of break. But later found out that they were speaking really slowly and really sort of simply for us, but still no English. So run us through, a, if you can remember that time period, run us through like morning to head hitting the pillow at night. What was a typical day? What, what was involved? For me, it was, we would wake up at 6.30 in the morning. We'd have a little bit of time to exercise and then Bible study time. And then starting around 10 or so, uh, we'd be in classes and the classes were in three hour slots. And during the class, like I said, only Korean was used and you would have scripture instruction where they would talk about sort of the content in Korean. And then you'd have grammar instruction where they would teach a grammar principle, but only do it in Korean. Um, and then you'd have practice where they would put you uh, from, I think it was day three, they told us, okay, you're um, going to role play. You've met someone that wants to learn more about Jesus and you're going to go meet them and talk to them in Korean. So prepare a 10 minute discussion. And so we, on day three, had to have that ready. And so that was the third sort of element of those classes was these practice sessions where we'd go in and meet local volunteers from the community who are Korean or who spoke Korean, who would come in and you know, pretend to be nice people that were interested in listening to what we had to say. So, so that wow. and those classes were three hours long and we'd have a two to three of them a day. And then outside of that, it was individual study time. So tell me more about the individual study. What, what kind of approach did you take? I mean, in general, I'm getting that the training centers focus is sort of an immersion, yep. jump into the deep end, yep. start communicating from very beginning. There's been little shifts in how the, the Missionary Training Center approaches language curriculum throughout the years, and they'll, they'll update the curriculum here and there. But the, the main focus is always immersion and competence-oriented skill building, basically. And so, yeah, that was, that was pretty intense. For me, I remember thinking with my own personal studying, I was like, I'm sitting here listening to Korean all day, every day. The best I can do is write down the words that I hear a lot and then start to figure out what they mean and start to build a vocabulary base. That's what I did. I had this little notebook where I would write down the sounds that I heard repeated a lot and then go up to the teacher afterward and try to ask, what does this mean, the sound that I keep hearing? And they would try to explain it in Korean. And then I'd look it up on my little electric dictionary and just build that notebook. And so my personal study was just going through these vocabulary over and over and over, trying to to remember them. And then I would just use the class time to plug them into sort of the grammar because you don't have time to do very much. So that's kind of what I focused on. I'm sure other people do it differently though. And I would imagine that you had one advantage over maybe just random language learning in that there was this really clear context. You know, you, you know what the content's about. I imagine by this age, you had a fairly good familiarity with it in English already. So right. you could have something to connected right. with that you already exactly. knew. Exactly. So I, I think one of the first skills that we learned actually was prayer and praying in any language is actually pretty, it uh, involves pretty complex language. And there's a lot of sort of honorific information that you have to be familiar with and, and things in an Asian language. And so it was pretty advanced stuff that we were learning that in any other context would be really useless. I mean, it, it wasn't going to help us go to Korea and survive at all. And that's kind of okay because the system is 
when you get sent to the country or to wherever your area is, you always work in pairs. And one person in the in the pair will usually be someone that has been out for longer or is a native speaker of the language. And so they've had enough time to figure out how to get by. And so it's okay if you don't have sort of the functional skills as much. So yeah, they taught us prayer and things like Bible reading skills and things like that first. And in, like I said, in any other context, that probably wouldn't be the most effective way. But for us, it sort of narrowed our scope a lot and made it so that we knew what we needed to learn about. We knew sort of what kinds of vocab to study. We knew that if we were in a conversation practice setting, we were going to be talking about Jesus. You know, we were going to be talking about God loves you and you have worth and your life is important and Jesus can help you and things like this, instead of having to learn words from 10 different topics every day. So that that scope being narrow, I think definitely helped us get functional in the areas that we needed to. Yes. The beautiful power of constraints is always nice. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's very interesting about how, since you had a a fellow missionary who was more experienced or a native speaker that they could focus on the, the sort of practical day-to-day stuff. Cause that's usually what most language learners focus on, right? Is that stuff first, right? You're jumping way ahead to this advanced stuff, especially exactly. I I don't know Korean, but I know Japanese, the honorifics, as you say, are extremely complex to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I I remember for me, my first uh, partner that I worked with um, was a Korean guy. Um, He was, uh, he didn't speak much English. And I mean, he spoke way more English than I spoke Korean at the time. So, um, but he was sort of like, well, I, I'm just going to speak Korean to you. So I hope you can figure it out. And I remember we'd be at the grocery store and I'm just listening to him trying to figure out how he, how he talks to people. And we'd be on the street catching the bus and I'm trying to figure out what the bus driver is saying. And so I sort of followed him around and mimicked him for the daily life things. And then when we would get into a missionary like proselytizing or teaching setting, he would kind of let me take the lead using what I'd learned in the training center. He'd say, okay, Derek, you're going to take the next 10 minutes of this discussion with this person and teach them about this Bible passage or something like that. And so that was really intimidating. But I, I, I think, again, those constraints kind of allowed me to learn a little bit in a more manageable way. So let's fast forward now. You got to Korea your first day standing is it on a street corner like what yeah, what's this? Yeah. okay so so you're on that street corner run us through what you're thinking what you're feeling what were your fears what was your what were you hopeful for right so i mean first off i would i just really wanted to at the same time sort of you know share what i believed about jesus with people but also not be rude and like try to force things on anyone and so you're wanting to be polite and friendly with people but also knowing that you don't even know how to uh, do the basics, let alone add all these sort of skills, like pragmatic skills of being uh, polite at the same time and friendly and reading social cues. So I'm just standing there like, how do I even do this? And I remember looking at my my missionary partner and being like, you're going to do it for a while first, right? And then I'll just kind of, maybe I can jump in and like say something at the end or something like that. Like, thanks for your time. Nice to meet you. Something like that. And he's like, no, you, you handle it for the next few hours you start. And then if you need anything, then I will jump in and save you. And so I just kind of had to be really embarrassed a bunch of times. I, I guarantee you the people that I was stopping had no idea what was happening. They were like, who is this crazy person? What, why is he stopping me on the street? What is he saying? And it kind of was a repeated process of that for the next, I would say, month and a half of just all day long trying to talk to people on the street or on the bus or whatever, and not really knowing what they're saying back to me and trying really hard to think of what to say to them. And at a certain moment, 
you start to understand some of the same phrases that people say to you frequently, like I'm not interested or uh, take your religion somewhere else, things like this, or, uh, you know, other people like, oh, thank you for your service or, oh, I've been to America, things like that, because I was from America. And you start to recognize those things that you hear a lot. And then you start to feel more comfortable with sort of a handful of responses like, oh, it's okay if you don't believe me, like God loves you anyway. Or like, can I help you with anything? Like, can I help you with your groceries or something like that? Like you you get used to sort of this handful of sort of meaningful lines that get exchanged a lot. And then it kind of builds from there. So I think at about three months, I was feeling like in a typical situation of stopping a person on the street telling them I'm a missionary, asking them if they want to learn about Jesus. I felt like I could pretty much handle those conversations. And you start to, there's this, so as someone who studies linguistics, we look at this thing, it's sort of the fluency illusion, where you uh, your perceived fluency is a lot higher than it actually is. And as a missionary in those first three months, I was like, wow, I speak Korean now, because in these daily situations where I used it, I had reached the point where I I felt pretty comfortable and I was in for a lot of rude awakenings after that. But that that was kind of how that first little part went. Yeah, there's that little peak, right? And then there's the trough of despair after that. (laughs) That long, 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 you know, building up period to the plateau. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So So for what I'm understanding is in the training center, it's a immersion-based deep end approach. Then Mm -hmm. once you're in country, it's really just Mm -hmm. the same thing. It's deep end every day, yeah, all day immersion. You don't have classes anymore. So you don't right. have any instruction. No so safety get, wheel. Exactly. You get one hour a day of personal language study and that's it. So you get to, in the morning, you have your Bible study time and sort of your prayer time. And then you have an hour to study your language and you sort of desperately practice for the situations that you know you'll need that day. Like, oh, I have a haircut today. Like I need to figure out how to tell them what I want or, or little skills like that, that, you know, you'll need throughout the day, or even like, Oh, I'm meeting with this person today. And they shared with me, you know, that they're really grieving after their daughter's death. Like, how am I going to talk to them about how religion can help them? And you're like madly trying to figure out how to say simple things that might be helpful to someone in that hour. And then you just sort of get thrown in to the deep end. So I, I think that there ends up being sort of a lot of really understanding listeners on the other end who are willing to be patient and sort of give you grace in in your conversations. I think this level of intensity is going to be a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. But I also know that given the context, you're highly motivated, right? This this aligns with your beliefs, with right. with your faith. How much of, of that element of, of motivation do you think it helps people get through this when otherwise probably most people like if this were just language learning for language learning's sake, yeah, I, I imagine that most people wouldn't make it. So what, yeah. are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, for a long time, linguists really thought that uh, language learning was all about this brain plasticity that stops when you hit puberty and you can't learn languages anymore. But there's a lot of sort of emerging theories that suggest that really the important thing is that little kids who learn languages in schools have no other option. They get to school and they are forced to use it and they have to do it to survive. And humans are built to adapt. So, and especially to adapt socially. So when they realize, you know, for me to be a part of this, this social circle, I have to speak the language. They don't have another option. Whereas adults, when they study languages, like you said, language learning for language learning sake, it's kind of like a hobby. If I can't do it, someone will probably speak English. I can always look it up online or um, I have my, even if I'm living in country, I have my group of expat friends who all speak 
English anyway. So there's not this demand. But for me as a missionary, you know, I lived in an apartment alone with another guy who was Korean and didn't speak any English. Everyone that I was going to meet the next day was Korean and didn't speak. Well, Koreans have pretty good English, but they weren't going to speak English to me. And I had not only a need to survive, but also like this desire to to connect with people and to sort of, you know, if, if it wasn't about connection, we could just hand out pamphlets and this is what we believe in the Mormon church. But I wanted to say to people, you know, like you're important and you matter. And so I felt motivated to do that in the language. And it gave me sort of that no other option mentality. And that extra bit of push probably on those days when you're exhausted, overwhelmed, you know, homesick. I would have given up a hundred times before I reached any level of fluency if I had the choice. Mm. And it's been interesting because, you know, I study other languages as well, and uh, but I don't study them in the same context at all. And having to do this language learning process without that sort of forced immersion and that deep motivation, it's a very different process and it's, it's really easy to give up too early. So. Mm. Yeah, that was my next question is, so as a linguist, I'm sure you're interested in other languages too. So obviously it's never going to probably be exactly the same thing. You can't right. quite replicate it without that external right. structure, but are there elements of, of what you learned that you've been able to bring over into your, your routines with other languages? Right. I, I think that sort of looking at the way that I learned Korean and the way that the missionaries that I would teach in the missionary training center were learning Korean as well. It made me really interested in my research about language learning. And I've, I've looked a lot at sort of that social adaptation element to language learning and how that helps people to learn. And so I I try in my uh, studying of languages to have a social reason to use the language, to connect with people or to understand culture or to, to sort of have those personal connections. And I feel more motivated when I do that. And I haven't had the opportunity to go live in sort of an immersive way in the countries of the languages that I um, have studied um, other than Korean. So I haven't been able to fully sort of try to replicate the process. But I I do think that that sort of social element, adding that to my language learning is really helpful. And the research shows that it tends to be really helpful when, when people are learning language to socialize instead of learning language to know a language. So what are some examples of that in your life now? I mean, obviously you said you're back in the States again. So in a daily or weekly basis, what, what are some examples of actual socializing you, you managed to do in the language and how do you bring that about? Right. So people ask about this a lot, especially, you know, uh, with COVID and with sort of limited opportunities to just go meet people, you know, my uh, original plan with, when I started sort of studying Chinese more intensely a few years ago was I was like, I'm going to go join these clubs of Chinese speakers and people who are interested in Chinese. And then we can have meetups where you only speak Chinese and where you're making friends with both Chinese learners and native Chinese speakers. I signed up for a few language exchanges where I could meet with Chinese speakers and have sort of natural conversation with them. And then COVID happened and that all went out the window. And so what I tell people is actually media does a really good job of replicating social experiences. And a lot of research on language learning shows that consuming media in the target language really does contribute to to speed in language learning. So with Chinese, I have a tutor that I meet with and we speak only in Chinese and we're friends outside of our tutoring as well. So we'll chat here and there. I have several Chinese friends that I'll just sort of message with 
back and forth and let they're really patient people. So they'll correct me and sort of be okay with my learning speed. And then I try to watch TV shows on Netflix in Chinese and listen to Chinese songs here and there. And sort of that combination provides at least an illusion of this social aspect to the language learning. So that's been what I've been doing during COVID. Yeah, I've done something similar. It's kind of immersion light. You know, it's kind of the closest right. you can exactly. get. Exactly. That's that's a great way of putting it. So before we kind of wrap up the part about your experience as a missionary, share with us some of like your most pleasant or kind of memorable experiences that you had while you're in Korea. Yeah, honestly, um, I think that probably the most sort of descriptive experience that I had as a missionary uh, or the most representative experience would just be the kindness of the really good people that I met. I was a guest on foreign soil and I was bringing a message that means something to me, but didn't necessarily mean something to the people that I was speaking to. And I met a lot of really gracious individuals who were willing to be patient with my broken language and with my slowly growing knowledge of the culture and uh, also listen to what I had to say and then share with me as well. It was the kindness and the goodness of the people that I met that really motivated my language learning. And if it hadn't been for that connection with those people, I don't think that I would have felt this deep need to uh, stay connected to Korea or keep learning Korean or felt that motivation. So I think that's probably how I would sum it up. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And I think even if somebody's listening to that and they're they're just going abroad mm-hmm. to travel or to live abroad, I, I think that same beauty of the kindness of people is so important. I think people have this fear that, oh, if I don't speak perfect Korean or whatever the local language right. is, that people are going to ignore me or right. laugh at me or ridicule me. And right. as anyone who's lived abroad knows, like any effort made to speak that local language is met with so much right. appreciation, maybe other than Absolutely. France. Maybe that's the exception. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe it's not the case in European countries as much because um, they all speak English so well. But yeah. Um, but I totally agree. I just, I think gratitude does a lot for language learning, going over and realizing that you are a guest and that people are being gracious to sort of engage with you and feeling that sort of gratitude instead of feeling entitlement. And also instead of feeling sort of shame or embarrassment, just being grateful and accepting people's kindness, I think is really, really helpful. So you mentioned you're still trying to keep up Korean now. So in addition to obviously the the media that you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, are there other things you're doing specifically to keep up Korean these days? So I was a missionary in in 2012. So it's been a while since I went to Korea as a missionary. And since then, I've lived in the country extensively, um, done a lot of work there professionally. A lot of my academic research is based in Korea. And then I've just been blessed to have really amazing Korean associates around me in, in the States and in the UK that I surround myself with. So I've been privileged to stay pretty immersed in sort of Korea and Korean. And then I got a master's degree in Korean studies as well before I started pursuing my PhD in linguistics. So I've uh, been able to sort of stay really immersed in in that world. And I, I love it. It's a beautiful language, a beautiful culture. Um, if you've already learned a lot of Japanese, I would highly recommend that you use the grammar similarities to sort of boost your start in Korean. It's on the list for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's lots on there the is, list. Yeah. Because my background's in linguistics too. So I have, oh, cool. I have the same affliction. It's like, oh, cool. there's so right. many, so many, right. languages, so little time. Right. Exactly. So let's shift gears a little bit now. Let's talk about your experience as a trainer then mm-hmm. at the, the Provo um, 
Missionary Training Center, mm-hmm. sort of put your instructor hat on and, and tell us a bit right. more about how you go about structuring that nine-week or six-week program. What's kind of the secret sauce, you think, that makes that program mm-hmm. effective and maybe make it unique or different from, from other language programs out there? Right. So I guess one thing to keep in mind uh, is that I was a, uh, an instructor at the MTC for several years, but I am no longer affiliated with it. And so I don't, I can't speak representing them at all or sort of speak for them. So uh, anything that I say can be taken with a grain of salt. But I, I think that sort of for me as an instructor, the first thing that sticks out is more than the curriculum itself or more than the way that we design sort of the structure the way that you perform in an immersive language setting, the way that you speak with people and the way that you engage with people who don't understand the language in the language is going to make a huge difference in their ability to learn it. So as instructors, we practice and we would have trainings and meetings. And the structures were about half and half foreign speakers of Korean and native speakers of Korean. So you had both perspectives there. But we would have meetings together where we would practice speaking to people that didn't speak Korean in an immersive setting and try to figure out what were the most effective ways to sort of help things stick and also improve functionality and things in the classroom. We practice really hard at how do you spend three hours speaking to a group of people in a language that they don't understand, but make that productive in both allowing the things that need to happen during class to happen still. So when you're telling people to pull out their book or to erase the board or to ask questions if they have any or to submit their homework, you know, how do we do all of those functional things in the language without just being super inefficient? And then number two would be, how are we using this time in class where we're speaking the language, but not necessarily teaching the language productively so that it's actually sticking in their heads or so that they can reproduce that language later. So we did a lot of things focusing on repetition of the same kinds of grammar forms or speaking in shorter sentences instead of sort of just flow of consciousness like you'd speak normally. So the way that we would speak to the missionaries, I think, was probably one of our biggest focuses because in the end, the training philosophy is number one, first and foremost, about that immersion. So we wanted it to be really effective. I think that's the first thing that I would probably say. Were there any specific things you did to make that input more comprehensible? Tactical, practical things that take this mysterious stream of sounds that they don't understand yet and somehow create some kind of comprehensibility. So that's kind of where the grammar instruction comes in. Like I said, usually in every three-hour class, we'd have one segment devoted to teaching a new grammar principle. And we structured it in a way that we tried to build really essential grammar skills that would help the missionaries in the classroom each day. So in on day one, for instance, the missionaries were learning the subject, object, verb, structure and becoming familiar with the subject and object markers that appear or sort of, I guess, the cases as it might be put in in another language. When the missionaries became familiar with those markers, that stream of sound that you just mentioned was less a stream of sound and they were all of a sudden able to break it up into, okay, I don't know what you're saying, but I know that was the subject, that was the object. And then you finished with a verb there because I heard some kind of conjugation. And so, you know, after day one, they might not understand still anything we're saying in the classroom, but they're able to pick out sort of some kind of sense to what we're saying. And then at the same time, you've provided them with maybe 10 words to memorize before that class that they're going to be hearing all through the class. So like missionary, God, help, you know, understand, things like this. And so 
it, we sort of build class by class upon that. And of course they get behind, you know, it's hard to learn a new grammar thing every time and stay on top of it. And that's where we would tell the missionaries, it's sort of up to you how on top of things you stay, but we'll try to provide really structured reviews throughout and different missionaries uh, learned at different paces. So. So those new words and, and structures, I know you mentioned earlier that you tried to, you had that little notebook and you kept things going. What specifically did you try to do to get that content into your head? Were you doing flashcards, space repetition, like what kind of techniques? So for me, it was really, I, I didn't, I wasn't very good. The other thing that they try to do at the MTC is teach you how to make a language learning plan. But I wasn't very good at doing that part because I felt so stressed out about like, I have to know everything from this last class before this next class. So I would literally just, I still remember having this notebook full of words and I'd be on my morning run, looking at the word and repeating it over and over to myself in my head. And then my main focus was just, like I mentioned, we'd have the performative tasks where we'd either have to meet with someone and teach them a lesson or share a Bible passage with someone or pray in front of the class or or give a miniature sermon on Sunday in front of a group of people or things like this. And my focus was sort of memorizing that list of words. And then I'd be trying to prepare for this task. And I'd be like, oh, I have to tell them like, God is our father. I I learned how to say is in the last lesson. So I'm going to try to apply that here. So it wasn't so much like I'd go back and be like, okay, now I'm going to review how to say is, and I'm going to make sentences to help me do that. I'd be like preparing this task and think what tools have I been given to be able to to prepare this task, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're starting with what you need to do, not right. what you've you, right. you have available to memorize. It's right. kind of a, exactly flipping that script a bit. Yeah, exactly. What would you, if you could go back in time, or if you were to talk to a younger version of yourself, or maybe a younger missionary who's just starting uh-huh. out, what would you do differently, or what advice would you give them about maybe common mistakes to avoid that you you'd made or that you've seen other trainees make? You know, I think that the most valuable advice that I was given, and this is really common advice in just the language learning world in general, was just that you have to make mistakes. You, you have to make mistakes. You have to make a fool of yourself. And there's a lot of people that really don't, you know, when you put an adult in a language learning setting, the other thing that is tricky is for a kid, uh, kids don't have this built up image of themselves anyway. They're, they're not like, I am Derek and I sound like this when I speak and I'm intelligent and people perceive me this way. They just like, they just do life without really thinking about their image. Whereas adults, we are used to the way people perceive us. We want to put off a specific image to people when we, when we interact with them. And when we're all of a sudden just given this tiny linguistic inventory and we're trying to project the same image of ourselves that we project using our native language, using this tiny little thing we all we're all of a sudden like well i can't be myself so i just i won't do it until i have enough to be myself but it's never going to happen you have to put yourself back in that little kid mindset of like i'm not trying to be derek right now i'm just trying to order the pizza off the menu like i'm not trying to be myself i'm not trying to convince anyone that i'm intelligent or funny or anything i'm just trying to you know ask this person about their favorite tv show if you focus on just getting the language out instead of your image, I think that it makes a world of difference. Yeah, that's huge. Realistic expectations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to be cool. You're not going to be funny. Yeah, that's so true. You're going to make a fool of yourself. And I think that hopefully that helps us sort of grow as humans and give other people grace. You know, when we meet people from other 
background speaking English with an accent or with less maybe sophistication than we do, hopefully we're able to say, okay, well, I shouldn't judge this person's intellect off of their English ability, because I think that's a trap that we can easily fall into. And when we learn to give ourselves that grace, I think it also helps us to become smarter in the way that we see other people too. That's gold, man. I totally agree. Any uh, final things you want to, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're going over a few minutes here, but thanks. uh, Thanks a lot. Um, I think I would just say, you know, everyone's language learning journey is different and no one's going to learn language like a Mormon missionary who isn't a Mormon missionary. And a Mormon missionary isn't going to learn language like a sixth grader who's moving to a country. And a sixth grader who's moving to a country isn't going to learn language like an adult who just has a passion for a specific country or a specific culture. And I think that's okay that no one's language learning process is going to be the same. But I think what is the same for everyone is the human brain. And the kind of the message that I try to give people and that I have really found with my research is that the brain is designed to be able to learn language. It's a, it's achievable. It's something that we can do. And I think just recognizing that it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to take time. But if you're willing to sort of push through the discomfort and taking the time, then it is an achievable goal. I think that's sort of, you can take whatever is helpful from different people's language learning experiences and apply it to your own, but it's going to, it's going to happen and it's not going to happen easily. I think are the two things that I would sort of emphasize to people. Which is, I mean, you're living proof, I think as are thousands of other people that somehow go from zero to Talking to someone on a street corner in right. nine weeks. I right. Mean, and it might not be pretty, but it happens. But it happens. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I mean, compare that to the three, four, 10 years. I mean, I, I'm sure right. you met expats in Korea who'd been there right. for totally. years or decades and could barely order a bibimbap to save their life. Right. Yeah. That's how my, <laughs> my language learning with other languages has gone. You know, it's like I put a lot of effort into it and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen as easily. But if I really sit down and think about it, I'm like, well, I probably know why it's not happening. It's because my brain doesn't feel motivated to engage with my with my Duolingo app and my Duolingo app only uh, for my language learning, you know, so. Yeah, and that even if you spend an hour a day in Duolingo, it's, it's an hour versus those right. 15, 16 hours right. you were spending fully immersed. So, right. which again totally. is back to the kiddos. They're not better at languages. Yeah. They're just, they have no yeah. choice and they're yeah. doing it 24-7. Exactly. exactly, and they don't care if they sound stupid, so. That's it. Yeah, right. that's the biggest thing, right? They, so. they, they have a go. Well, Derek, I so appreciate it. Thanks so much, John. It's really fun to chat with you. You as well. You know, on this podcast, we spend a lot of time talking about quite advanced concepts and ideas in language learning. But I also have a series of courses which are for beginners. Because actually, more often than not, people come to me and say, look, Ollie, I just want to learn this new language as a complete beginner. I want to learn Spanish or learn Japanese or learn French. You know, what do you have for me? And this is why over the last few years or so I've been developing out this series of courses which you know everyone claims their method is the best right so all I'm going to say about these courses is that I've created these courses the way that I would like to learn a new language myself if I were starting out from the beginning so you know it's it's my thing it's my it's what I recommend that's as much as I can say about them the special thing about these courses the unique thing is that you learn through story So, you know, I don't go in for any of these kind of technology gimmicks and apps and flashing lights and funny noises and things like that. I teach you through story. So right from day one, I get you reading a story in the language. You're reading, you're listening right from the beginning, even when you don't understand very much. And then I come in and teach you through these video lessons. I help you uncover the language from the pages of the story, which is why these these courses are called Uncovered Courses. Spanish Uncovered, Japanese Uncovered, Italian Uncovered. It really is 
a way to learn the language to a very deep level. You won't get the same instant gratification that you get from Duolingo, but what you will get is a solid foundation and thorough education in the language that is going to give you all the groundwork you need to go on to become fluent in the language. If you'd like to find out more about these, simply head over to IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and look for the courses option in the menu bar. That's IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and click on courses in the menu bar. That will show you all the different uh, beginner courses that we have uh, in all the various different languages. Once again, that is IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and click on courses in the menu bar.